Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The lessons I learned was that, you know, real estate is very important and credit it goes hand in hand because especially if you're a personal guarantor, any lender and lending institution is always going to look at the credit, whether it's the managing member or whomever. The credit is always so important. So I learned that things can be changed. You don't have to file bankruptcy to get yourself out of a situation that you have no control over. And the good thing about this country is that you're able to start again. In the back of your mind, your dreams should be real, right? Thanks all for tuning in to Dreamcatchers, where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dream. Are you ready? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dream Podcast. I'm your host, Jerome, and I've got the great pleasure of having Dali Garcia with me today. Hey, everybody. Where are you? Are you in Georgia? Yeah, I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, in the Buckhead area. Ooh, you fancy. Well, it could always get better. (laughs) (laughs) Before we dive in, do me a favor and tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you if they love what you have to share. Absolutely. My name is Dolly Garcia. You can reach me at gocrowncredit at gmail.com. That's my website. My email is gocrowncredit at gmail. And you can also contact me at 844-244-8144. Beautiful. We'll get that all linked up in the show notes as well. Dolly going through Yona Weiss's LinkedIn CRE challenges. And it was super cool to just see people start posting content and start meeting and greeting with new folks. And then she reached out and she was asking questions. I was like, yeah. And then I started finding out about her journey in my web stalking thing and (laughs) finding videos and understanding what was going on. I was like, okay, it's time to bring her on the podcast and learn more about her and her journey. So do me a favor and tell the listeners a little bit about your background and what you're most excited about today. Definitely. And I want to thank you for having me here on your podcast. The show is the bomb. I've been listening to all your podcasts. So it's a pleasure to be here. My journey has been interesting. You know, I posted in the commercial real estate group that we all have the platform on about my history and how I started in real estate. 
where I was just a young girl, like 12 years old. And, you know, my mom, she, she immigrated from the Dominican Republic into New York when she was like a teenager and she had me young. So, you know, she was still learning herself. So I really didn't have much like a entrepreneurial example to follow. So I had to like, kind of like learn things on my own. And I was always reading books all the time as a young girl. I prefer reading over TV <laughs> to this day. So my mom, you know, I remember her when, you know, we, I grew up in the Bronx in an apartment building. I lived on the fifth floor and it was crazy because I always saw the landlord coming like every first of the month. And she used to be like, oh, the door, it's the landlord. And I used to be like, Who, what's, what's that? Like the landlord, like, what is he doing? You know, he would come and get this check every month. You know, nowadays it's mailbox money. You don't even visit the property. You just get a mailbox correspondence and you're like, yes, I got mailbox money. But in those days, my mom would have the landlord come over to the house and he would ring the bell and she would have the check ready. So I used to be like amazed by that. Like, wow, like how do I become like that guy, like collecting the rent and knocking on people's doors. So that kind of started the fuel of wanting to know about ownership and learning about getting rental income. So I started learning and the first couple of books that I bought, I was like 12 years old. My mom was like, what are these books? It was like Robert Kiyosaki. So I started learning on, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I remember getting the whole series, like Retire Young, Retire Rich, The Four Quadrants. When I used to talk to my friends from the neighborhood, they'd be like, what you talking about? I'm like, the four quadrants, like, <laughs> like go from one side to the next. So it was like I became a teacher and helping other people kind of get the understanding of what that was. So I was still not applying it, but I was reading it. And I was like, there's going to come a time where I'm going to apply this wisdom. Right. So I went to college and... I went upstate New York to SUNY Canton. That was the first school that I went to. I had a scholarship because at the time when I graduated the sixth grade, I had this uh, nonprofit organization come to my school. They were called the I Have a Dream Foundation. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the I Have a Dream Foundation, but I was so blessed that that class that I graduated in was the class that they decided to sponsor. So anyone that took advantage of that class and graduated high school was given the opportunity to get a free scholarship for college. So I was one of those people. So it was a beautiful thing. And I went upstate New York, Canton, New York. It was like nine hours away from New York City. And I was up there like near Canada at the tip of New York. It was like a two-year associate's program. And I wanted to do that because I wanted to continue somewhere else. I didn't want to stay in the same place for four years. So I'm glad that I made that decision at an early age. Wow. Okay. So you go away. Are you the sibling? Yes. I'm the oldest of three of us, three girls. I'm the oldest. I have two younger sisters. One, his name is Christy. She's the middle and Tracy, she's the youngest. And I was like the first one that graduated college out of my whole family. So I was like the example. I went through hard knocks because no one could teach me or tell me what I was going to experience. It was just like, I just threw myself out there. You know, were you always adventurous to like, yes. nine hours is a long way. Yes, it was a long way. And at the time, I remember I had my first car. It was like an Isuzu Trooper. It looked like a, a damn school bus. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I mean, that was the deal. Okay. So, all right. You, you go upstate and you get the degree. And then what happens after that? 
well, you know, after getting the associate's degrees in business, I went and I went and continued my education. So I said, okay, now I'm going to go closer to home. So I'm going to go to the SUNY Albany, which was Albany, New York, the capital of New York. That was like maybe a two or three hour drive versus a nine hour drive from the Bronx. So in that time, I was thinking I was going to law school because I was always, my friends used to be like, you're always like a lawyer. You're always like a smart ass. Like you need to be a lawyer. So I said, you know what? That's not too bad. So that was like what I had in mind at the time. I said, I'm going to go to school. Then I'm going to go to law school. So I went to SUNY Albany and finished there. I have an economics degree in finance. And while I was there, I was, you know, looking to get my LSAT and trying to figure out what I'm going to do next. But to be honest, I was like, I got to figure out a way to make money. Like, I'm going to have to pause the law school for a moment because after four years of school, you're broke. You're like, what am I going to do next? So came back home. My mom at the time moved from the Bronx to Westchester County. She was like always progressive. So she wanted a better neighborhood for us to be in. So that's where she moved to Terrytown, New York at the time. When I came back, that's where I ended up staying while I was looking for a job. And I applied for two jobs. And I'm glad that I took the position in Westchester County in White Plains. It was either that job or the other job at Payne Weber, which was like down by Wall Street. And that was like before the whole 9-11 thing. So I'm kind of glad that I wasn't in that area where I was considering to do like an entry position for Payne Weber, right? So I took a job at a law firm and that law firm was real estate transactions, wills and trusts and estates and planning and stuff like that. So I remember I was interviewed by the attorneys uh, and shout out to Rabin Pinero and Herrick. I was working directly with Douglas Pinero and he was tough on me. He was like, he was like, okay, you hired. And the other ones were looking at him like, I'm like, what's going on? They're like, he never had an assistant. He never had an assistant. And we're just watching and seeing. So I'm like, what is going on here? So I was like the experiment, but it turned out so good because we became so tight. He trusted me. I was his right hand. So I took his, his deals from, you know, from the time they received the offer memorandum all the way to the end of the closing statement. Like I was like doing everything from A to Z. Okay. So that's how I started learning about how to apply this knowledge that I read about when I was younger and all throughout college to actually taking action and how to go from A to Z. And I was like amazed by the deals that he got, what he was able to do the difference between residential and commercial, how to uh, do his due diligence when he was dealing with co-ops and condominiums, everything had a different characteristic. So I had to learn and adjust according to what deal was on the table. But I just started rocking and rolling. And I said, you know what? These checks that I'm over here cutting for these closings, I need to learn how to get my name on these checks. So how I'm going to do this, right? I was thinking about going to law school in the back of my head, but I was like, this real estate game is too good for me to focus on trying to be in school at this time. So I met a couple of people, you know, when you work at a law firm, you kind of connect it with different people that are in the real estate business. So this one guy, he was like, you're so good at what you do. Why don't you do something on the side? Like, because, you know, I wanted it. I was like, I want to learn how to do this. So they were like, why don't you do mortgages? You know, you're good with numbers. You do these closings. I used to do the closings for the guy. I did everything. So I met a lot of people. They were like, do this. So the guy was like, he kind of took me under his arm and he was like, you know, I'm going to help you start closing your own deals. Right. So I was still doing legal assistant work. But at the same time, after that, I was still going out there learning how to do the mortgage business, got a mortgage calculator, how to figure out how to count 
you know, how to do the debt to income ratio, you know, loan to value. I was like learning all of that. And before you know it, I just started getting clients. And since I'm bilingual, I was getting a lot of the Latino clients, you know, regular clients that wanted to be first time home buyers. And when I remember my first commission check, it was like $15,000. And my arm was falling off because I had like carpet tunnel from typing all those documents for Doug. I said, Doug, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> so that's how the journey started with commission. So eventually I told Doug, okay, Doug, I can't work for here no more. But I started sending him clients, like clients, you know, in New York state, you have to have an attorney to, to handle your transactions. So he was like, so when I had a client, they'd be like, do you know any lawyer that I'm like, yeah, I would refer the business to the law firm that I work for. So we ended up having like a family relationship. And ever since then, it's just been a journey, you know? So that's like super cool. How like it kind of orchestrated. You had a good idea. You had your North Star. I want to do real estate, but I don't have anybody who I have access to that is actually doing it. Like we're writing the checks instead of like getting the income, right? We're sending money away instead of owning and getting money back. And so you figured out the actual legal process to get the deal done. And then you got into mortgages. And then, I mean, I know a little bit about your story. So I'll move you to what happened with like, how'd you get gold crown credit? Like, what is that? And how did you get from this stuff to that? And that's a great question because I went through so many ups and downs. Of course, you know, I was in the game before that last recession in 2008. So from the time that I worked with Doug, when I graduated college, it was like the year 2000. What's up, tribe? It's your host, Jerome. I just want to let you know that we put together a free 15-point checklist for exiting the matrix. Jump on over to dreamshouldbereal.com in order to pick your free copy up. Let's get back to the show. I was working with Doug for like two years, but I was still doing it on the side, the mortgages, until I completely left him. And I ended up getting a real estate license too. So I was kind of double dipping. I would go to closings and I was the loan originator and also the real estate agent at the same time. The lawyers used to be like, well, that's not legal. I'm like, well, here's my dual agency agreement. My client understands and it's fine with it. So give me my checks. <laughs> so I went from there and uh, I started investing in my own properties and multi-units. I had condos, renting. I started learning how to be a landlord and it was crazy the stuff I had to learn, the eviction process. But, you know, working at the law firm, I, I understood law and I understood how to prepare documents. So a lot of the things I did on my own, like a lot of preparation of documents, and I still to this day do on my own. Even if I have to hire an attorney, I kind of understand what's going on. So in 2007, things started changing. It was like I went from closing a lot of transactions of my own and doing my own business as a landlord to tenants not paying rent, tenants losing their jobs, underwriters getting stricter with terms. And I'm like, we were closing so easy, like nothing that it started getting stagnant and, and getting shorted, the, the amount of deals that I was closing on the table. And I was just like, what is going on? I knew there was something happening because it wasn't as easy as it was. That's when everything hit rock bottom and everything turned upside down. And I felt bad because a lot of my clients that I put into these mortgages that were adjustable rate mortgages or interest only kind of went upside down. And I always had a passion for people, even though I liked to make money and, and be successful, I like to give back and help others. So I felt responsible. Like, 
these people are put into these mortgages that they can't do nothing about them. So they used to be like, my credit is being affected. They were going into foreclosure. And then I started learning about foreclosures. And then I started losing my own properties because I didn't have the strategy on how to save my own things at the time. So I was all in this bubble with myself and my own problems, still help, trying to help other people. And it was just an overwhelming time because no one could predict what was going to happen next. You know, I have always reviewed credit in the mortgage business, but I wasn't intricate and involved in it like I, I am now because I had to help myself when I went through my own setbacks and foreclosures and, and losing properties and going in arrears. At the time, I had LLCs and stuff, but I had everything kind of commingled, things in my personal name. That's when I said, you know, I have to understand what the difference and how to separate personal from business. So I started learning about how to build business credit, how to separate my business from my person, how to limit my liabilities, helping others with their credit. So then I said, you know what? I was getting so busy because I was getting successful with people's credits that I said, well, I might as well just start my own business because I can't just keep preparing people's credit for free. You know what I mean? It just kind of took a life of its own after the whole recession. And I didn't even have an entity started for the credit business at the time. I was just doing it just to help people. And I did homeowner defense, helping people understand what their mortgages meant, how they had rights. It was like, I've been in pretty much every facet of, of everything in real estate from all that I experienced. So that's how I got to go Crown Credit. And to this day, I help people with their personal credit, how to separate. And still, to this day, people don't understand how important it is to separate their personal from their business. You know, how to manage them without having to, you know, put yourself involved in all of it. Wow. And so were there some big lessons or anything learned in growing Gold Crown? Absolutely. Because the lessons I learned was that, you know, real estate is very important and credit, it goes hand in hand because especially if you're a personal guarantor, any lender and lending institution is always going to look at the credit, whether it's the managing member or whomever, the credit is always so important. So I learned that Things can be changed. You don't have to file bankruptcy to get yourself out of a situation that you have no control over. And the good thing about this country is that you're able to start again. You can help yourself to uh, work something out with your creditors. You're able to work things out with lenders, especially during a time where people are in a recession and, and people are trying to come back from that. So what I always tell people, just because your credit is at a low credit score right now doesn't mean that that's where you can stay. There are things that you can do to help yourself get to the other side. And credit is leverage. You can always get funding. If you don't have a way to get into a transaction and you want to, for example, invest with Jerome, you, you, there's always ways to be able to get funding, to be able to have some skin in the game, to get involved and start working on investing because that's really where you win. Got it. So <laughs> what was your worst fear in the process? Like, what have you had to overcome you're just terrified of? I would have thought it would have been moving away from home and going nine hours away, but <laughs> I'm sure there's some other stuff that you went through along the way. I did. I, you know, I lost a lot, like during the time where I lost everything. My son is 11 years old now. He was, you know, a, a baby and I'm going through all this stuff and I'm just like, how am I going to get myself out of this? How do I go from like up here to down here? How do I get myself back up? And now I have a baby that I have to look after and, and help myself while I'm helping others without having to get a job and a nine to five. Like, because one thing about me, I hate nine to fives because it's like, is a means to an end, but 
that's not me. Like I have an entrepreneur spirit. Like I know that I can make it happen and a hustling spirit. But I was like, and I have this little baby with a mouth to feed and there's no consistent income. It gets scary. It's like your back is against the wall. But that's when the best comes out of you. That's when your creative nature kicks in and you're like, okay, I got to do something. That's what led me to doing like homeowner defense. Like it was very strenuous and it was like a heavy burden on me because I'm helping myself with my own foreclosures and problems. But I have other people that I felt responsible for that they were like, my house is a negative amortization or I don't have a tenant now, so I can't pay the rent or the mortgage. I'm always a solution-based mindset. Okay, that's the problem now. How can we fix it? I didn't have all the answers, but having that mindset attracted income. It was able to help me kind of sustain while I got to the next step. Wow. I think I already know the answer to the question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Was there a rock bottom moment? Of course. Of course. I went from the beautiful home in Westchester County back to the Bronx back to the Bronx. I had a luxury car. I was driving a Range Rover. I had to sell those things and give it back because I just couldn't afford to keep that from closing all these deals, making XYZ a month to nothing. I went from a nice, beautiful, big house in Westchester County to back to a one-bedroom apartment in the Bronx. It was a boomerang effect. Ouch. Yes. And the people that I grew up with were looking at her like, what happened to her? She was driving around here like she was all that. Wait, now look at her. You know, it was like that. It was very humbling, but I felt like, wow, it's really hard. It impacts your ego and it brings you to a humble state. Without question. So let's talk about the red pill moment. Why did you not just tuck your tail and go get a job? Because, I mean, you, you sounded like you had really great relationships with the people that you worked with before. Why not just go back? Why continue down this path of entrepreneurship and freedom? Because I felt like a failure. I was like, this is not good. This is not who I am. And and no, and not, and not to mention, I did try. I'm not going to even front. Like I did try sending out resumes, you know, looking at my son and he's a little baby and I had to provide. I, I did try, but things were not happening. Nothing was happening. It was like the spirit was like, uh, nope. You're going to have to figure it out because nothing was popping at all. Like I tried to submit resumes. So I did attempt to do it because there were moments where I was like, the rent is coming. I have to pay the light. I got to do this. I got to do that. It was tough. It was really tough. My mom helped a lot though. You know, shout out to my mom. She's a rock. So she's out in the Dominican Republic out. She just left today to vacation. She's coming back, but she was really helpful through the whole process. Wow. On another interview, I heard you talking about people not actually knowing who they are and some bruise and all this other stuff. Would you be willing to share a little bit about that with the listeners? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's a great question. So during that time when I went through my setback, you know, that's when people connect with their spirituality or with the higher power when they're going through affliction. So when I was in my affliction, you know, you know, I used to cry a lot. I used to be like, how am I going to get out of this? And I used to always be in prayer, like, Father God, I know you're out there. I know that you didn't bring me this far for nothing to bring me down. So what is the reason of all of this? So all of that had a reason. So now moving fast, fast forward, I, I understood. I understand. So during that time, and you probably heard it in my other interview, I was on the bus. I went from the luxury car to the bus to drop my son off at a daycare in the Bronx because 
I had to have time for myself to be able to do something bigger, you know, to have time to think. And so I would drop him off at the daycare. It was like a program, a government program where I didn't really have to pay much. So it really helped me out a lot to be able to get back on track. So I would drop him off and then take the bus back to the apartment to get on my computer and start working on things. So I remember one day I went to pick him up and I see this man on the bus. He gets on the bus when I'm with my son on the bus and he's like, do you believe in God? And I said, yeah, I believe in God. And, you know, before I met this man, I would go to churches. I went to the Buddha temples. I used to try to seek spirituality in different ways because I was seeking. I was a true seeker, but they didn't know where it resonated with me. I even studied the nation of Islam. I did a lot of things, but nothing really resonated with me. So when he sat next to me and asked me that, I said, yeah, I do believe in God. And then he said, what color is God? I said, what color is God? No one ever asked me that. I was like, uh, I think he's black. <laughs> that was my answer. So then he said, he said, did you know that the reason these so-called black men are getting thrown under the bus is because they're the chosen people of God? I said, what? I said, no one ever told me that before. You're my baby. I'm like, look, I got to get off the next stop because... My stop was coming, but he was blind. But I was like, who is this? It was like an encounter that I had that was impactful. So I went back to my apartment. No, before I got off the bus, I said, look, I would like to continue talking to you about this because this is so profound. I never heard of this before. He said, the black men are the real Jews that the Bible speak of. That's what he told me. So I said, wow, that was impactful. Before I left, I said, can I have your number so we can continue talking about this? Because I never heard. He said, my name is Matthew Witherspoon. You can call the operator and you'll find me. I was like, okay. It was like a matrix moment. So I said, all right. So I put my phone back in my purse. And I said, I took my baby and got off the bus and went to the apartment. And then I just couldn't get him off my mind. And I went online. You know, now in these days, you don't just call the operator. You just go online and you Google the person, right? So I Googled him. I couldn't find anything. I said, you know what? Let me go to whitepages.com. And I did. And I found him. It said Matthew Witherspoon. It had an address in the Bronx and it says 69 years old. It has an age too. So I said, it's got to be him. So I called the number and it rang for a very long time, but I was patient because I know he's blind. So then he picks up and he's like, hello. I'm like, hi, is this Matthew Witherspoon? The blind man that I met on the bus today, he said, do you need visually impaired? I said, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and that changed my whole life. He became my teacher. Like he was teaching me the Bible about the 12 tribes of Israel, the origin of the children of Israel. I went to Israel too, because I've been studying the Bible for over 10 years. And I went to Israel in 2017 and it was an amazing experience. And I did a lot of due diligence and I did find out that Christ was indeed a very dark-skinned Black man. Whoa. Okay. So this puts you on a totally different journey, right? And so what did you figure out being in this space that was revolutionary? I mean, skin color is one thing, but I think it's so much mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it is. It is because I started researching and learning a lot about who I was, uh, why, you know, we're in the position we're in as a group of people, because we can't ignore that there's a people, the haves and the have-nots. Is it by design? Also, the captivity of people for 500 years in America, 
working without any compensation and, you know, the traumatic experiences. Like, you know, you don't want to focus on that because even before that, it seems like the school system in America only focuses on Black history and it just kind of begins in during that time. And to me, as I started digging deeper and looking into biblical aspects, we had a much bigger history even before that time. But I started going further than just, oh, we were brought here as slaves. You know what I mean? So we were like kings and queens. We were great mathematicians, scientists, you know, creative people that impacted the whole world. And people just don't get much of that information. The royalty of the bloodline of a strong people that were able to overcome you know, setbacks and stuff like that. I mean, the stuff is impactful. And the reason why we even got to that, like according to the scriptures and the teachings of the elder that I met, is correlated to the curses in the Bible and why, you know, we were in that situation we in because of our transgressions. Wow. Love it. So Dolly, like you went through all these changes. You went through this arduous journey. You're now in Atlanta. What's been the reward for overcoming all the turmoil and struggle? Patient. I am forgiving, you know, even more so. I've always been empathetic with others. And it doesn't matter what background you are. If you are a kind person, if you are a giving person, one that wants to help others, you know, it goes without saying, you're going to get that back. You reap what you sow. I'm so strong. It's like, even if people try to break me down or, or are non-supportive, it doesn't impact me because my existence is so much bigger than, than men. It's my, my footprint is going to change lives. And it does every day in, in the best way that I can. But if I can go harder, then more people are going to be impacted in a positive way. And that's what I looked at. I look for to be with the tribe-like people, people that are like, their mindsets are like mine, that are about growth, about loving, about giving, not about being wicked or evil or conniving. I'm the total opposite of that. Before I used to be so more like, you know, you said I was adventurous. I still am, but with caution, you know, I, I'm more reserved and not so quick to react like I used to be. So it, it was a learning curve and it, it's definitely put me in a better place. I love it. I love it. So have there been anything that's tried to pull you back into that old way of life that you had before all of these amazing transformations? Well, absolutely. Because, um, you know, like when you grow up with certain people or even when you go to college with people, people always think that you are the same person that you were before. So I think the the external aspect of it, like people thinking like you're going to stay the same and when you come around those people, they're like, oh, she's different now. Who, who she thinks she is? It's like, I'm just in a different place. Like what I used to do, like hanging out, going out, partying, which is great. We all do that, but it's different now. It's like, it has to be meaningful. Our connection has to have some kind of synchrony. Like we have to have something where we're growing towards, that we're working towards. It has to be a meaningful relationship. Where before I was like, okay, oh, you guys want to hang out? Okay, that's cool. But people look at me from back then and they're like, oh, they can't relate to me now because I've gone through all those changes, but are we supposed to grow? Are we supposed to learn? We can never stay the same. I love it. We've got to grow. You're either growing or dying. It's only two yeah. yeah, And I'm still growing. We're coming down to the final four. The first question I want to ask is, what are you most grateful for? I'm grateful for, for health. I'm grateful for 
you know, so many people have been impacted with this COVID. You know, I can say that nobody in my family has been impacted. Um, I'm so grateful for having that. I'm so grateful for my son. He He's like my why of why I push so hard. I'm grateful to just have an opportunity to be here, to be able to share my experience. And I'm grateful for you, Jerome. This podcast, I love it. Thank you. <laughs> what dream was focused on catching next? My dream is like what I mentioned to you before. Like I want to grow my portfolio. I really want to have like over a thousand doors that I can put into a trust and teach my son how to manage. Like I want to learn how to get so deep into this that it's like, you know, I can help others do the same that want to do that don't have the connections or the network, you know, like I know young women that are single moms and they're like, I want to own real estate too. So I help them with their personal credit. Sometimes I do pro bono work, you know, quite as kept, like, so that they're able to get to the next step. Or, you know, I want to own a business. How do I start that? So just kind of giving back to people because that's what it's all about to see other people achieve their goals. Are you sure that's what it's all about? Absolutely, because it's a legacy. I never forget those that that helped me. Plus, I want to leave my son with where he has choices, where he doesn't have to feel like, oh, I have to go work for someone because no one prepared me or gave me the foundation. I want to be able to do that for him so he could do it for others. Yes, absolutely. Such certainty, such clarity. I love it. Thank you. What gift are you giving the world? The gift. The gift of being true and transparent. And I'm not afraid to answer questions like, you know, even if it's uncomfortable, we should be able to be transparent and talk about things that make us feel uncomfortable. It shouldn't be like swept under the carpet. Just be real. Like, tell me how you feel and let's discuss it. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I want to throw some love on you for being true and transparent and being a light in the dark. I think there's a lot of people out there who are searching and seeking. And you're a breath of fresh air. I think there's a lot of people who just want to get all that they can. And in their getting, they forget the the humanity of the people that they're dealing with and don't actually take the opportunity to serve. And I, I think that's what we're truly placed for. And so I appreciate your courage. You certainly talked about some things that were uncomfortable today. And I think it's going to inspire some people who may even be on the front side of what you dealt with or going through the middle of it or coming out of it and looking for seeking hope or inspiration. So thank you so much for being so transparent. I appreciate that. Thank you, Jerome, for having me and asking me these questions. And I'm willing to have an open dialogue with anyone that does. And does it have to be negative? We can can still disagree with respect. Without question. And I think that's the true indication of a person's intelligence is the ability to have a disagreement about whatever the situation is and move on as people who deserve respect. And so the final question for you is, what's the one thing you want people to take away from our conversation today? I want them to be open-minded. I want them to see that everyone's dealing with something. Like, Just like when we saw that the brother just passed away, the actor, you know, he was dealing with colon cancer. And it's like, you never know what anyone's dealing with. Try to be compassionate, you know, be a person that is not a hater, like show love because you never know what's going on behind the scenes. It's not like people are holding their signs up like, hey, I'm dealing with this, you know, so we should be just kind of like humans, just learn how to be compassionate and open to other people's 
ideas and what they have to say and where they come from. That's what makes it hot. That's what makes it popping. You know, it's salty, not bland. <laughs> love it. I love it. Valley, so much for coming on the Dream Catchers podcast. We'll catch up with you soon. Red pill always. Thank you so much. Have a good day, guys. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.